these are some interesting billboards. Now, I'm gonna, I, I'll just be honest. I don't know that the, what is shown on the billboards necessarily reflects the person that is identified there. Uh, it could simply be the content of the graphic designer. But the message is quite interesting. Let me show you the first one. Uh, you can put that up. It's got Bill Gates on it. And I don't know if you can read that, but what it says on this billboard is from the Secular Student Alliance. It says, the second richest person in the world donated over $26 billion to charity. And then it says, Bill Gates is good without God. Another one has Warren Buffett on it, and it says this. Third richest person in the world. Pledged to give 99% of his wealth to charity. Warren Buffett is good without God. The next one's a bit more generic. It just simply says, and this is from the Sacramento area, it simply says, are you good without God? Millions are. You know, the, the, the just kind of rubs me the wrong way a bit. Otto von Bismarck had this quote. He said, there is only one greater folly than that of the fool who says in his heart there is no God. And that's the folly of the people that says with its head that it does not know whether there is a God or not. Can I tell you today that there is a God? There is a God. And, and while, again, I'm, I'm careful to tell you that I don't know that that's exactly how Bill Gates feels or Warren Buffett. It could simply be an a, uh, ad campaign that did not have permission to use any of that. But I will tell you that regardless of it, the Bible says at the end of time every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And at that point we're going to realize whether or not we needed God. And the answer will be a resounding, you needed God. I want you to look with me at the book of 2 Kings chapter 1. And uh, I want to just kind of start with the story and then we're going to build off of it and go. But 2 Kings chapter 1, it, it, it takes place after King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. If you are any knowledge of any Bible history, especially Israel's history, you know that that was a wicked time in their history. Ahab and Jezebel uh, was not good kings. They did horrendous things. Their end was not pretty at all. But the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 1, Now Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahazi, he was the king, and Ahazi fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers unto them saying, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether or not I should recover of this disease. So let me just help you out. Ahazi is the, is the son of Ahab. He's following well within his mom and dad's footsteps. He's not following after the things of God, even though these are the children of God. But he, he's, for, for whatever reason, he's in his upper chamber. Maybe he leaned against one of those lattice works and he fell. And now he's sorely injured. And he, he asks some people, he says, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I should recover of this disease. What's very interesting about this is that this is only about 10 years after that, that showdown on Mount Carmel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal when, when uh, they, you know, you know how the story goes, they, they both had a, uh, an altar built and they said whichever God answers by fire let us know he was the God of Israel and so 
The prophets of Baal did all of the things they could do. They, they converted, they cutted, they, they, they worshipped, they invoked their name of their God and not one single solitary spark ignited off of that altar. But just a little paragraph prayer by Elijah and fire fell from heaven. Not only did it burn the offering, it burnt the wood, it burnt the stone that the offering was built on and it burnt up all the water they had poured on that offering. But, you know, that's so last decade and they'd already forgot about that. Beelzebub was one of the local male fertility gods that the heathen nations worshipped. Uh, there was a lot of this during that time, and it was a, a horrid, lascivious practice. But you have to understand that the word Baal in their language simply means God. And there were many gods that the heathen and even the Israelites began to worship whose prefix started with the name Baal, most likely this Beelzebub that they talk about was really Beelzebul, which would have meant the exalted Lord. But as is fit, and I don't know exactly who uh, penned the first Kings chapter or second Kings chapter one, but I have a feeling that Elijah had something to do with it because you remember when Elijah was on Mount Carmel, he made fun of those that worship Baal. You know, he said, "Is your God sleeping? Is he on vacation?" And I see a very sarcastic thing that comes through. Because instead of the writer here calling it by its, its name, Belzebul, he calls it Belzebub because Belzebul means exalted Lord, but there's only one Lord that should be exalted. So the writer referred to this idol as Belzebub, which meant Lord of the dung or Lord of the flies. Kind of just an interesting way to throw it out there. Just sort of smack you in the face. You're worshiping a false god, we'll call him that name. But watch this. What was very interesting about King Ahazi was that he did not want to ask Beelzebub for a healing. I want you to think about that. When he looked at his, his, his servants, he said, I want you to go ask, will I recover or will I die? That seems dumb. If you're going to serve a God that, that has caused you to do everything under the sun, if you're going to give all of your, your offerings and tithes to that God, if you're going to go to the temple and worship that God, I'd like to think you have a little bit more uh, uh, entrance into that kingdom of God that you don't just have to say, do you know if I'm going to die? When I come to church, I don't come to church and say, God, I I am I going to be okay? Is this how it is? No, I can come to church. The Bible says I can come boldly to the throne of God, and I can cast my cares on him. I find it very interesting that Hazi did not ask Beelzebub for a healing, but simply tell me my fortune. Don't change my fortune. Don't help me get better. Just tell me how it all ends. And the angel of the Lord comes to Elijah the Tishbite, not Tickbite, but Tishbite, and uh, said, I want you to arise and I want you to go meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say unto them, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Here, here's the point. Really? Really? There's not a God in Israel that you have to go whoring after some false God that can't even help you? Is there not a God in Israel? And so Elijah departs, the uh, messengers come back to Hazai and they say, you know what, we, 
we were going and we, we, we were going to find Beelzebub, but we met a man to meet us and he said, I want you to go back to your king and tell him that because there is not a God in Israel, or be, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that you did sin to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from the bed on which you are going up, but you shall surely die. So the prophet Elijah kind of prophesied and said, because of your stupidity, you are going to die. Let me help you out. You're going to die. So when they get back, King Ahazi says, tell me about the manner of man that came to meet you. What was it about? And they said, well, he was a hairy man. He was girt about the girdle of leather about his loins. And Ahazi said, I know him. That's Elijah. I saw my dad deal with that prophet. I saw my dad. He said, so I want you to uh, take you a captain. I want you to get about 50 men with you. And I want you to go and I want you to t- command Elijah to come down and come to where I'm at. So they go. And uh, they get down there, and, and the Bible says that Elijah was up on the top of a hill. In my mind, it's kind of like playing king of the hill. You know, he was sort of sitting up there, and he's just sitting there, and they kind of go up there, and they said, my king says for you to come down. Elijah smiles, and he says, well, if I'm a man of God, then let fire fall from heaven and consume you and your 50, and fire fell from heaven and burn up those 50 men. Just poof. Don't mess with Elijah. That's one thing you need to learn about this. Don't mess with Elijah. God tends to answer Elijah's prayers with fire. So somehow word gets back to Hazai, and he says, well, that was kind of unfortunate. Let's get 50 more men with another captain. Go back to Elijah and tell him, I said, get down here right now. So here goes another 50 men. They get down there, and they said, listen here, O man of God. The king commanded you, get down and come with us. Elijah smiles and says, well, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven, consume you and your 50, and fire fell from God and came down and consumed him and his 50. Poof. Now you've lost 100 men. Word gets back to Hazai. He's not real smart. Word gets back to Hazai. Let's find another 50 men. Let's find another captain. At this point, nobody's volunteering. They're running as fast as they can. And so here they go, 50 more men. The third one, they go. This one is a little smarter. He gets to that, that, that hill and he falls to his knees. And he says, Elijah, I know what happened to my predecessors. I know what they did. Please understand, this is not me doing it. I'm simply obeying my king. Please, I pray you if my life and the life of these 50 of my servants be precious in thy sight. I know fire fell from heaven and burn up the two captains of the former. But please, please save my life. The angel of the Lord came down to Elijah and said, all right, go with him. Don't be afraid. Go. So it was that Elijah comes and he points his bony finger at that king of Hazai and he says, listen, are you serious that there's not a God in whom you can call that you were forced to go after the God of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Because of that, you will not live. You're going to die. And the Bible says that he died according to the word of the Lord with Eli- with that Elijah had spoken. Can I just tell you today that the, the that is one of those rhetorical, uh, 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 ironic questions. He knew the answer. The answer is, yes, there's a God in Israel. 
Just 10 years before, the God of Israel had shown his power on top of Mount Carmel. Just 10 years before, God and Baal had gone head to head and Baal had lost immensely. Baal had lost some 800 prophets in one day. It should have resounded in Ahaziah's eyes that yes, there is a God of Israel. But for whatever reason, he had forgotten that. He had forgotten the power of the fire that fell. He had forgotten the power of the rain that fell for after that incredible display of God's power and magnificence on top of Mount Carmel. You know the story. They were in a three-year drought. And Elijah was up on the top of the mountain and he was praying. And, and, and the, he, he knew that rain was about to come and he sent his servant out. He said, what do you see? The servant said, nothing. It's as blue skies as it can possibly be. The sun is shining. Basically seven times, Elijah sent his servant to go see what the horizon held. Until finally on that seventh time, he said, all I can see is a cloud about the size of a man's hand out there on the horizon of the sea. And Elijah knew that was the promise of God. He girded up his loins and he took off running. And by the time that he ran, the heaven was as black with clouds and wind and a great rain. And Elijah ran faster than the horse and the chariot that Ahab rode. And he went there. And I'm telling you, there should have resonated in them, there is a God. I mean, if, if, if a drought the likes of what the Bible talks about had been going on, a drought so bad that they were consuming just anything and everything they could possibly consume and people were eating their last meal and then laying down on their beds and dying because there was nothing left, you would think that probably they prayed to Baal. And probably they said, oh, you're the God of fertility. Surely you can shine upon our crops. And it was like leaden skies and brass ears. Nothing happened. But Elijah begins to pray. And the fire falls. And the rain falls. Just about the time that you think there's no God around. Just about the time when everything is dark and gloomy, when sin is running rampant in our cities, just about the time you think the end is near, the Bible says in Joel, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all of the inhabitants of the earth tremble for the day of the Lord cometh and is nigh at hand. He says, I'm telling you, about the time you think nothing's going to happen, let me remind you there is a God in Israel. When you get to your places in your life, you don't have to wonder, is there a God? There is a God. Let me just tell you. Just record it down, write it in your phone, write it on your pad of paper, whatever. Say, Brandon Buford told me there was a God in my circumstances on this day at this time. Just go ahead and write it down so that whenever life throws you a curve, you can stand and say, but I know there is a God. Now, I'm okay with the things that God has allowed us. I'm okay with doctors. I'm okay with lawyers. I'm okay with counselors. I'm okay with the things that God has allowed humanity to find that can help us in time of need. But when you get into a predicament, don't be like a Hazi that says, I guess there's no God around. Let me go a-whoring after another God. No, when it comes, why don't you just say there is a God? I know who he is, and I know he can heal me. Now, it would make sense to me, perhaps the timeline's a bit off, and I'm, I'm aware of that, but the understanding is this. 
in that same area, in that same time frame. Now maybe it happened after Hazi, but still, you got Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, a leper, one that had no hope to ever get free of that dreaded disease. But there was in his household a little Israelite maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she told Naaman's wife one day, she said, if, if God my Lord was there with the prophet that is, that is uh, in Samaria, he would recover him of his leprosy. And so somebody went and told Naaman, there is a God in Israel. Naaman packed up all his chariots and all of his bags and he departed and he said, I'm going. He went to the king. The king couldn't help him. But when he found Elisha, Elisha said, well, let me tell you what you need to do. If you'll go down to the Jordan River and if you'll dip yourself seven times in that muddy water, when you come up, you'll be free of that disease because there is a God in Israel. Now, Naaman got a little mad. That seemed to be beyond his stature of life. Surely I could go anywhere else. I could go to the rivers of Damascus. I could go anywhere but the waters of this nasty old place called Israel. I'm not going to wash in them. I'm going to get mad. And he began to stomp away. And one of his servants came and probably bowed and said, please don't cut my head off. But can I tell you, there is a God in Israel. I don't think it's the water, Naaman. I think it's the God of the water. And for whatever reason, it ain't working over there in Samaria. Whatever, it ain't working over there in Damascus. But if you've come all this way, why don't you give God a chance? And so the Bible says that Naaman went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of God. And his flesh became like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And he walked out of that place saying, surely there is a God in Israel that's greater than anything I've ever served in my life. Psalmist wrote this, in Judah is God known and his name is great in Israel. I would like to just remind each and every one of you today that there is a God that is operating here in the lighthouse. There is a God that you know. There is a God that's greater than any sickness. There is a God that's greater than any circumstance. There is a God that is greater than any depression. There is a God that is greater than anything that life might throw at you and you don't have to wonder, why don't you just grab hold of it and say, there is a God that is at rule in my life and when I have a need, I can call on his name. There is a God in Israel. We don't have to be like a Hazai that says, I don't know if there's a God, so I'm going to follow after another God. But see, here's the problem. I know who I'm preaching to. I'm well aware of it. Say, Pastor, wouldn't this be better preached out there on the streets with all the sinners and the ones that don't know there's a God and you convince them? Absolutely. But here's the thing. Jeremiah, the prophet, in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 22, has a similar phrase that, that is spoken not just to some sinner, but is spoken to the saint. He says this, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Now let me take you on a journey. Now we, this morning we talked about those two tribes, Reuben and Gad, that didn't go over into the promised land. And we talked about the, the tragedy of, of settling and not going forward. But, but let me talk to you a little bit about Gad. First off, I would take you back to the book of Genesis chapter 37. 
there is the story of Joseph uh, right as he is sold to his his you know his brothers sell him into slavery but they're in the promised land they're in Canaan's land during that time they're descendants of Abraham they haven't yet gone to Egypt like we preached this morning but while they were there the Bible says that they they were sitting down to eat bread Joseph had already come and they were mad at Joseph so they had stripped off Joseph's coat of many colors and they had thrown him down into some pit and they were trying to figure out if they were going to leave him there to die or, or what but he couldn't get out of it so he's down there hollering and screaming and, and they're ignoring him. They sit down to eat bread and they lift up their eyes and behold a company of Ishmaelites are coming from Gilead with their camels uh, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh and they're going down to Egypt. So right there you, you get the first glimpse that there is a balm in Gilead. Balm is a, a salve or an ointment, something that has maybe a medicinal purpose. It was something that would soothe uh, uh, the burn or the wound or the cut. And so it was that they sold uh, Joseph to those uh, Ishmaelites and they took Joseph to Egypt and that was the start of our sermon this morning. In Genesis chapter 43 and verse 11, it's when Judah is sending his other sons to Egypt because he can't figure out why he didn't know that, that Joseph was alive and, and Joseph's playing the tricks on his brothers when they're coming and all of that is happening. But his, bro, his father Israel said unto them, all right, if you have to go, do this. Take the best fruits of our land and your vessels. Carry down into the man a present a little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, and almonds. There was a balm in Gilead. So why in the world does Jeremiah walk to the stage knowing that he lives in the area where Gilead is and he says there is no, why is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why is not the health of thy daughter of my people recovered? It's a rhetorical question. Jeremiah was comparing the wounds of of. of Judah and the wounds of Israel's and the sin. He was trying to show that the sins that maybe no one could see on the outside were just as bad as a physical wound. If you had a physical wound, you would take a medicine and you would put on it. And he's asking here in Israel's sin, is there not something that can heal their sin? The answer is found in a careful study. When you begin to view that promised land, you begin to see that Gilead was located on the west side of the Jordan River. And again, it's where the tribes of Gad and Judah had settled. But still, even in their settling, it was there in that land of Gilead that had that balm. It had that incredible medicine. It was owned by the children of Israel. They could traffic in it. They had a, a, a way of making it. Everybody wanted what was in Israel's land. So why? in the world would you need something you already possess what they needed was right there for the taking what they needed was right there how could God's people be so sick when the answer was right in their grasp is there not a balm 
That's a question that could be asked right now to each and every one of us. It could be asked to our neighborhoods. It could be asked to our communities. Why in the world when what you need is just a call away, just the very mention of his name would answer so many things. Why do you have the ability to call on his name and you're still sinning and having problems? Is there not a balm in Gilead? Perhaps the answer could be seen a little more in the book of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. In the book of Revelation, the first part of the book of Revelation, of course it's a very uh, 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 apocalyptic book. It's got a lot of prophecies in it. But at the very beginning of the book, it tells about seven churches and it gives each of those seven churches a warning. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14, it says this, And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, Here's what I want you to tell that church. These things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. I know that you're neither hot nor cold. But oh, I would that you were hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you saith that I am rich, I'm increased with goods, I have need of nothing, but you don't really know that instead you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind and naked. God said unto them, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be as rich and white raiment that you may be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thy might is see and as many as I love I rebuke and chasten be jealous thereof and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open up the door I will come into him. I will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit had to say. In this church of Laodicea, they were urged to buy not just ordinary gold, but buy refined gold. The church of, or the, the city of Laodicea had an incredible banking industry, it was a rich city. It was a city that had everything that you could ever want. You didn't have to work real hard. You, it was just kind of there for the taking. God looked and said the church lacks a spiritual uh, uh, wealth. The church lacks a spiritual wickedness. Oh, I know you got beautiful clothes, church. But they were urged to wear the white clothes, symbolic of the righteousness History tells us that Laodicea was a place where there was a special kind of wool. In fact, it was famous for a black garment that was made of black wool. And it was very sought after. And so in that town of Laodicea, they had fancy garments that everybody wanted. It would have been the latest thing on the catwalks of the modeling and the, and the, the, the different shows. And, but it said what you need is not what you can find in your world. What you need was something. But it's interesting because Christ told them, he said, you need to put a salve on your eyes. Laodicea, history also tells us, had a medical school located in one of the temples. In that temple there was a, 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 a medicine that, that was produced there that could heal the common eye troubles that were around the Middle East. And so they could have that. But again... The Lord very specifically is, is indicating what you need 
is not what you find in this world. What you need is what you find in God. And, and the answer is kind of right there. What you need is readily available. You don't need to go to Laodicean's uh, temple and find some, some eye salve. You don't need to walk into the garment district and buy you some clothes. You don't need to walk into the bank and get you some gold. What you need is readily available from the God of Israel. It's right there. All you got to do is ask. But could it be, as Ecclesiastes said, dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. And so doth a little folly in him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. It's the catalyst for the phrase, the fly in the ointment. The catalyst of the phrase that says sometimes those flies would fly into that, 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 that salve that they had made it smelled good, it would draw the flies, and if you didn't have it tightly covered, the flies could get in it. Probably it was still okay. In, in searching and researching for the sermon, I, I realized a, a message I was preached a couple years ago about flies, and in it I told you a bunch of really cool facts about flies, and, and actually it was quite disgusting about what all flies do. But At the end of the day, the salve might be okay. The salve might be usable, but it's just hard to get through the side of the fly. It's kind of like the guy that says, waiter, there's a fly in my suit. Now some of you, you'd eat the suit even if the fly's doing backstrokes in it. But some of you, it doesn't help. How many, how many, let me just pose a question to you. How many flies or how many hairs would it take on your plate before you stopped eating? Some of you said just the thought of one. But if you're starving, I mean really starving, it wouldn't matter. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean this. Guilt and combination and condemnation. Condemnate. When you're guilty and you feel bad about what you've done, how's that? <laughs> Did I get it, Sister Stacy? guilt and, and sin and shame come tainting your life makes it hard for you to move forward to the balm that God has prepared you can't get past the fly but really to be honest you could scoop that out of the way and let God's healing presence begin to touch your life Jeremiah chapter 46 says this Go up to Gilead and take the balm, O virgin, the daughter of Egypt In vain shall you use many medicines And you shall not be cured The prophetic statement there is simple You've tried everything else But there is a balm in Gilead You've tried every other God you can find but there is a God in Israel that has the answer. Today, as you stand, I would tell you that everything you need is right here today. I know there's people who are battling sickness. 
I know there are, are those that are facing some, some tests and some uncertain diagnosis. I know there's those that are sick. But I will tell you today, there is a God in Israel. For some of you, your life has got a bit messed up and you're not really sure what way is up or down. But I would tell you that everything you need for your life is right here today. For some, maybe your marriage is a bit rocky. Maybe some things have been said that shake you. Maybe some, some, some fractures have begun to occur. But everything you need is right here. There is a balm in Gilead. For your family, for everything, all you need is here. I want to invite us. In fact, I'm, I'm going to ask that all of us would take a step from where we are and just kind of as a church family and church body, I'd like to end this service around this front because I think it would be good for us to come and say, Lord, everything I need is found right here. Don't be the Ahazi that says there's not a God in Israel. No, there is, and he's here right now ready to meet your needs. I wonder if you'd come and let the balm begin to touch you in Jesus' name. He's all.